0: Facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio.
1: A magnificent Monday to you. Welcome to the third week of Lent as we roll on through this season. We've got a great week planned for you. You can call in right now. Grab your place in line. 888-914-9149. It's toll free line to call eight eight eight. You can also email me at Kale, C-A-L-E, at RelevantRadio.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. Lots to talk about today. I don't know if you guys watched the Oscars last night. I did not. I did not. I had some things to to do. It was my anniversary, my wedding anniversary, and um, went out for dinner with my family but speaking of entertainment, I'm going to be talking about the Seinfeldian society in which we live. We tend to major in the minors. We tend to be apathetic about some of the big, important things in life, and yet very passionate about trivial matters, what are relatively trivial matters. Why is that? Plus, we're going to talk about, since it's Monday, most of you guys are back to work now, how to resolve conflict with coworkers, especially if you're working remote. That, that makes it even more tricky. It's a really practical point. We're also going to continue our novena to St. Joseph getting ready for his feast day. It's day four of the novena. We'll have all of that and much more for you in just a couple moments. But in case you missed anything from last week, producer Jim Shaper has you covered. Here is the week that was on The Cale Clark Show. When you're really good at something, you, you'll always have a job, okay? And Michael and was absolutely the best. Even his enemies wanted to hire him. A lot of people don't know this because they they think about him as a master of the visual arts, but he he actually wrote several hundred poems, sonnets, madrigals, over his career. And uh, sometimes when he was working on statues, he would just sort of have a notebook handy and he would also write poetry as he was doing it. And he wrote about all kinds of things, human relationships, love. Believe it or not, he actually wrote a poem about his overactive bladder. Yes, imagine that. He actually talks about, quote, a drippy duct compelling me awake too early, end of quote. That didn't get published, that one, for some reason. There are people who don't need that much because they simply don't have a lot of wants. They don't. They, they, they need to cover the basics, but they don't really want to live in a gigantic home. They don't want to take 10 vacations a year. They, they, they're they just content. So their needs are less. So you got to figure out what that is for you. So your wheel might not look completely round, but that's okay. That's okay. It's, it's, it's your wheel and maybe it doesn't roll as fast as some others, but try not to get distracted by the wheels that other people are driving. Keeping up with the Joneses, focus on yourself and focus on what you want to get out of life. And hopefully on the spiritual side of things, you want to become a canonized saint. That's the only goal worth shooting for. There are a lot of great and special women in salvation history. Let's go to Barbara in Passaic, New Jersey.
2: One of my favorite female saints is St. Scholastica, the twin sister of St. Benedict. Right. Mm -hmm. And once a year, they would get together at a farmhouse to talk and, you know, discuss holy things. Mm -hmm. And the last time it happened, St. Scholastica sensed that she was going to die soon, and she didn't want St. Benedict, her twin brother, to leave, but he said he had to because it was against his rule (laughs) to you know be leaving his monastery overnight Mm -hmm. so she went and prayed and it was a humongous storm and he had to stay and three days later he had a dream where she passed but
1: um, he saw her soul ascend into heaven or something like that in the vision yeah (laughs) that's a great story in fact i think it was her feast day just a few days ago a marriage is basically two sinners moving in under the same roof, right? So there's going to be some conflict. There's going to be some rough edges. We need that. We need that in a certain sense to become saints. St. Saint Jose Maria said, Look, if, if your character and the character of everybody else around you was as soft and sweet as a marshmallow, you would never become a saint. You
3: just, oh, you have the
1: stay Puffed marshmallow man, how sweet he is to be around. You just kind of bounce off him. No.
3: We used to roast stay Puffed marshmallows by the fire at Camp Wakanda. Ray has gone bye bye, he begun.
1: What are the deathbed regrets that you have heard of, that you know of? Ty Cobb, the Georgia Peach, one of the best baseball players of all time in the early 20th century, but also one of the meanest, nastiest pieces of work you could ever imagine for various reasons. You can look up some stories about his life. But allegedly, I heard the story, allegedly he had a deathbed conversion to Christianity in which he said, I wish I had known this. In the top of the first, instead of the bottom of the ninth. The bottom of the ninth inning of life. I don't know if that's a true story or not. I don't know if that's a legit quote, but it's a pretty good one. That's right. And Ty Cobb absolutely was uh, hopefully, hopefully received into the kingdom. And hopefully we all will be as well. That's what we're striving for, especially during Lent. We're trying to get better spiritually we need to make sure that we don't major in the minors. It's really, really important. 888 914 Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. And you can email me, kale at relevantradio.com. That was the week that was by producer Jim Shaper. Really appreciate that. And we're starting a new week. Uh, last night, I don't know what you guys were up to, if you were watching the Academy Awards or not. I did not. I have not seen any of the pictures that were nominated for Best Picture. haven't seen any of them. I used to be so on top of these things. I used to be, man, I I would just, it's tough though. You get older, you get busy. You can't watch every sporting event. You can't watch every movie. You've got things to do. You've got important duties in life. And unfortunately for a lot of folks though, majoring in the minors has become a way of life. Trivial pursuit for some is not just a game, but it's their daily practice. And I read an interesting piece um, that was written by an author named Uche Anazor. It's it's really kind of a. It's taken from a book that he wrote called Overcoming Apathy, Overcoming Apathy, and apathy is something that uh, is so prevalent, so toxic in this generation. We really live in the. My, my dad is always talking. My dad is always talking, You know, we live in the me generation. Uh, I want to say, Dad, we actually live in the meh generation, where people are just apathetic about everything. It seems. Well, not 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 all people, but. Anyway, so this guy, Uche Anasor, he said that he became a Christian in the 1990s, and around the time that he discovered Jesus Christ, it was around the same time that he discovered the show Seinfeld. And, of course, Seinfeld is one of the greatest shows of all time, very quirky. We actually did a show on the Cale Clark Show. We did an episode on the 1990s, remembering the 90s, and what some of the the cultural lessons might be. But this guy, Uche Anasor, says that, he built his entire Thursday night around watching that, the latest episode of Seinfeld. Back in the day, you, you kind of had to do that. It was appointment viewing. Uh, you could not stream it, you couldn't download it whenever you wanted to. You had to be there at that time. I mean, maybe you could set up your VCR to record it, but um, for many people, it was appointment viewing. And in fact, during its last five seasons, 30 million people tuned in every Thursday night to watch Seinfeld. In fact, the finale, the final episode, garnered 76 million viewers. And it still is a cultural phenomenon today in in a certain respect. It's in syndication. It's on all the time. It's ubiquitous. And there was an episode in season four. It was actually season four, episode nine. The title of the episode was called The Pitch. And in this episode, Jerry and George... And, of course, uh, Jerry plays himself in a certain sense, Jerry Seinfeld. George, the character of George, was played by Jason Alexander. And they're talking about coming up with a pilot, a pilot for a TV show, and they want to pitch it to NBC. And so here's some dialogue from that episode called The Pitch between uh, Jerry and George. This isn't the clip, Jim. This is just a setup for the clip. So they're talking about it. Jerry and George are talking about what ideas they might pitch to the NBC executives and, and at some point, George says, this should be the show. This should be the show. And Jerry says, what? And George says, this, just talking. And Jerry says, yeah, right. George, I'm really serious. I think that's a good idea. Jerry, just talking? What's the show about? George, it's about nothing. Jerry, no story? George, no, forget the story. Jerry, no, you got to have a story. George, who says you got to have a story? And the conversation just keeps going and... And Jerry just doesn't seem to get the concept. He finally says, I still don't know what the idea is. And George says, it's about nothing. Jerry says, right, right. George says, everybody's doing something. We'll do nothing. Jerry. So we go into NBC. We tell them we've got an idea for a show about nothing. And George says, exactly. All right, let me get this straight. They say, what's your show about? I say nothing. George says, there you go. And Jerry says, I think you may have something here. So here's a clip of how they actually pitched the show to NBC executives. Here you go.
4: Well, we've thought about this in a variety of ways, but the basic idea is I would Uh, play myself. Uh,
3: Go ahead. I think I can sum up the show for you with one word. Nothing. (laughs) Nothing? Nothing. What does that mean? (laughs) The show
4: is about... Nothing. (laughs) Well, it's it's not about nothing. No, it's about nothing. Well, maybe in philosophy, but even nothing is something.
3: Mr. Dalrymple, your niece is on the phone.
4: I'll call back. Uh, D-A-L-R-I-M-P-E-L. Not even close. (laughs) Is that with a Y? No. (laughs)
5: What's the premise?
4: Well, as I was saying, I I, I would play myself (laughs) and uh, uh, as a comedian living in New York, and I have a friend and a neighbor and an ex-girlfriend, which is all true.
3: Yeah, but nothing happens on the show. See, it's just like life. You know, you, you eat, you go shopping, you read, you eat, you read, you go
4: shopping, you read? You read on the show? Well, I don't know about the reading. We didn't discuss the reading.
3: Well, all right, tell me, tell me about the stories. What kind of stories? Oh, no, no stories. No stories? So, what is it? What did you do today?
4: I got up and came to work. There's a show. That's a show.
3: <laughs> How
4: is that a show? Well, uh. Maybe, maybe something happens to you on the way to work. No, no, no. Nothing happens. <laughs> well, something happens. Well, why
3: am I watching it? Because it's on TV. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs>
1: Because it's on TV, not yet. And and that's the thing. People used to watch shows just because they were on, and you really didn't have much choice. Now, of course, there's a smorgasbord of choices. You could be listening to podcasts. You could be listening to the radio. Hopefully, you're listening to Relevant Radio, and you can even listen to Relevant Radio as a podcast, of course, through the Relevant Radio app. You can download all the episodes. But back then, you really didn't have much choice. But really funny clip there from Seinfeld, a show about nothing. They're pitching the show about nothing. To NBC executives. So how meta is that? How meta is that? With apologies to Zuckerberg, of course, when I say meta. But Larry David, who co-created the show with Jerry Seinfeld, and one of the reasons why the show was so great, and Seinfeld talks about this, is that he and Larry David would essentially just lock themselves in a room when they were writing each episode, and they would not leave until their work was done. They, they just were perfectionists about every single episode, every single line of dialogue. And Larry David had this motto for the show, And it was no hugging, no learning. (laughs) So when you watch Seinfeld, you weren't there to really learn anything. And he was kind of, in a sense, thumbing his nose towards previous TV shows and and conventions at the time. But it really wasn't about nothing. And and this is one of the things that Uche Anazor says in his article, is that the show really wasn't about nothing. It was per se, but it was actually a show about insignificant things. It was a show about petty things. And it and it normalized indifference towards the big things, the things that really matter in life, marriage, family, religion, uh, social things that were happening. It was all about a fixation on the minutia of daily life, getting a good parking spot, uh, how annoying close talkers can be, how do you maintain your high score in the Frog in the Frogger video game? So it was all about. Little things that really aren't that important. And the, and the series finale was was essentially a microcosm of, of all of that. So in the finale, in the last episode, they're waiting around, the four main characters in the small fictional town of Latham in Massachusetts. And then they see, they witness sort of a crime happening. There's an overweight man who gets carjacked, but they don't help him. They instead sit back and they make jokes about him, about his weight. They videotape the assault as it's happening. Very similar to what goes on today, of course. There's a lot of clips about uh, bystanders. Instead of jumping in to help, they're filming this stuff for, for YouTube and for social media, for TikTok, whatever. So that's what Seinfeld and his friends do. They simply record the assault, and then they walk away. The victim notices, tells the police about them, and then they get arrested for violating the Good Samaritan Law which is an actual statute requiring bystanders to help when other people are in danger. So they go to trial. The prosecutors call in all these witnesses who are characters from past episodes. It's pretty funny to demonstrate just how horrible these people are as, as, as humans. And finally, uh, the judge uh, reads out the verdict. Jerry and his friends are guilty. And the judge's closing statement uh, in part says this, quote, I don't know how or under what circumstances the four of you found each other, but your callous indifference and utter disregard for everything that is good and decent has rocked the very foundation upon which our society is built. So they're they sent to jail for a year, that's their punishment, and they sort of just resume doing what they were doing before, talking about indifferent things that don't really matter. Um, Jerry starts talking about The location of George's shirt button, which is exactly what he and Jerry talked about in the very first scene of the very first episode of the series. And that was the end of the show. And the characters haven't learned anything. They haven't grown as people at all. So Larry David used to say this about Seinfeld. A lot of people don't understand, he said, that Seinfeld is actually a really, really dark show. It's really dark. And so uh, Uche Anazor starts talking about this in, in his article about what he calls the Seinfeldian society. Because he said, man, like when, when I think about how much time I spent watching the show, and not only Seinfeld, but also shows like The Simpsons, Friends, they, they really affected the way I looked at life at the time. And if you, if you keep absorbing this steady diet of pop culture, those attitudes, and specifically with Seinfeld and, and its ilk, the attitude of indifference really is something that you pick up on, almost by osmosis. And so he says, quote, I grew to believe that it was cooler not to care about meaningful things, or at least not to put any earnestness on display. I knew in my head that there were important things in the world to care about. However, I couldn't bring myself to care deeply enough about them or to move towards them. I don't believe I'm alone in this. I think many of us experience this disconnect between head, heart, and hands. We know what is good. We know what is right. We know what's life-giving, but we can't seem to lift a finger to do anything about it. We know that a bit of quiet reflection would do us some good, but we hit play on the fourth consecutive episode of whatever show we're into instead. We are aware that spending time worshiping God would inspire us, but we'd rather sleep in, especially after last night's Netflix marathon. So he calls this the curse of apathy, and a lot of people have been stricken by it. We live in a culture that's plagued by it. He calls it a Seinfeldian society where only inconsequential things seem to matter. So he says we're numb to the meaningful, but we're alive to the trivial. He says, quote, some things evoke passion in us. Other things induce yawns. The paradox of apathy is that we're captivated by the things that we don't really care about. And we're lukewarm to the things that in our heart of hearts mean the most of us mean, the most to us, rather. We don't act on what we should act on, but we are awakened to things that we should probably ignore. Apathy is not care less. It is care adrift, care misplaced. As another writer puts it, our culture is a breeding ground for chronic apathy due to the, due to the proliferation of distractions available to us. We are regularly invited to care, just not too much or about too important of a matter. In fact, our busyness serves only to exacerbate our disengagement from meaning and to keep our spirits in a state of lethargy, end of quote. I think that's very true. And there, there are things that we, sh- we, we don't act on what we should act on. I like this line. But we're awakened to things that we should probably ignore. And I would say a lot of what passes for news these days, we should probably ignore because it, it doesn't have any bearing on our day-to-day life and what we ought to be doing. It's good to be informed, but as we know... <laughs> there's a spin to the news. There, there, there are ways that people want to rile us up, if you will. And he also talked about how important it is as a matter of faith, because as believers in Jesus Christ, we have this mission. We have to bring Christ to the world. That's what we try to do every day on Relevant Radio, bring Christ to the world through the media. And we have access. We have full, free access to the most significant realities in the universe. And sometimes we take it for granted. Sometimes we're not even thinking about it because we are in the world. The, the scriptures tell us that we're in the world, but not of the world. And the, it, it's kind of like being in a boat, almost like being in, in the fishing boat of Peter. And that's a great metaphor for the church, the bark of Peter, the, the fishing boat of Peter. But sometimes it can spring a leak. If, if that's the church and the, the world around it is the water, the boat can spring a leak and sometimes it gets in. And these ideas, these what's going on in the zeitgeist, in the culture, can creep into the church, and it can really shape our minds if we're not careful. If our minds aren't formed by the scriptures, shaped by the scriptures, they're going to be shaped by what society thinks is important. So where does this show up, do you think, in most people's lives? You can call in 888 9149 if you have a take on that, 888 9149 Where does this attitude of apathy majoring in the minors caring about nothing where does that show up in most people's lives and how does it hinder people from living fully the life of the kingdom that jesus promises he says i have come that you might have life and have it to the full and that that is not nothing folks that is not nothing and jesus wants us to have that you're listening to the kale clark show on relevant radio we'll be right back after this triple eight nine one four nine one four nine
0: This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life.
1: Hey, welcome back to the program. 888-914-9149 is the number to call to talk to me for free on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. Hey, the phones are hot right now. Let's go to Fran, who is calling from Boquilio, Florida. Bokelia, Did I get that right? Yes, it is Bocilla, Florida. You got that right. Uh, where? What part of Florida? And we're is... still here. Are you still, southwest was... southwest. We're still
2: here. No, we yeah we got hit with uh, Ian,
1: so yeah. uh, oh, yeah.
2: Fort Myers, Cape Coral, Naples mm-hmm. area. Yep. Let's give you an idea.
1: Oh yeah, That's yeah. I know North a lot of people country. down there that that got hit hard. It's and I was actually oh, down yeah. there at Christmas like time. Day it was
2: and St. James City is de- devastated here. Oh yeah,
1: it's gonna be. It's gonna it's really be still a long rebuild, but. Uh, well, yeah,
2: and I—I'm I, blessed. I have both my house and my garage I just lost the roofs. But I have—I'm right now cleaning my front porch. That is so scarily nasty. That <laughs> and I was outside, but I heard your show because I'm listening to it, and I heard you talking about the show about nothing. And I mm-hmm. remembered that show, and I was telling the uh, uh, whoever it was that answered the phone. I'm sorry, I didn't get his name. Uh, anyway. Patrick. Okay, so anyhow, I I used to watch Seinfeld and mm-hmm. Friends, and if I wasn't going to be home, I had to tape it. I couldn't leave the house yeah. without that. Yeah. Now this was twenty six years ago, twenty five years ago, whatever. Now before, see, for thirty five years, I was away from church, mm-hmm. and I came back about twenty five years ago. Wow,
1: that's, that's and Mother
2: good. Angelica got mm-hmm. me really indoctrinated. And then as I grew out of Mother Angelica, plus she died on me, but uh, the show's still good. I still, you know, but now I listen to relevant radio because now I have you and it's a more mature, you know, teaching and I've already got the basics, but I got to tell you, I tried to watch Seinfeld one day because I was someplace Uh where they had regular TV and I can't watch those shows and I have no idea how I watch them.
1: But you just find sensitized. them too 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 banal. Too you know.
2: No, it's not even that. the The messages they were giving you was how to ruin yeah. your life in three easy lessons. <laughs> yeah. It was everything you That's shouldn't true. do. Is what they were promoting.
5: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: And That's true. And if you if you have you ever heard? Did you hear the thing that Artificial Fisher Fulton Sheen said one time? It's he like said a, a lot frog, of stuff, but okay,
1: the, the yeah, frog in boiling water. The,
2: the boiling water, yes. Yeah. You know, it's nice and cool when he goes in. He's having a good time. The heat gets turned up. You get a little, he's still having a good time. Before you know it, he's boiled. Well, Mm. that's what television did to me personally. And I know it's doing
1: it to the rest of the world.
2: And I don't know how people are watching the stuff that's on TV. I don't know know, how they're putting the stuff on TV.
1: Well, Fran, Fran, I I, I thank you for the call. And that's one of the reasons why we have relevant radio. Thankfully, we're, we're able to broadcast this this message this message of christ and, and provide people with 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 hope and and pray for us we we try to do the best job that we can every day and i'm so happy that you discovered us that, that is fantastic and so glad that you're listening to us as you're cleaning your porch out in florida and and appreciate you so much for calling in fran call back anytime thank you for your kind words please please pray for me and and all the other uh, personnel here at relevant radio as we work together and and you may you might be on your front porch sipping some sweet tea or something like that, or you might be on the road uh, wherever you are. You might be at home. Give me a call. 888 Let's go to Joe in San Francisco. Hey, Joe, how you doing?
4: I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for your program. You know, you make a big difference. So thank you.
1: Oh, thank you. That's really humbling. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate that a lot. Thanks, Joe.
4: So, so 15 years ago, I stop newspaper, talk radio, TV. I don't want all this negativity, all this baggage, all this Mm -hmm. garbage. I have no control over any of it. Mm -hmm. So I tell people, you've heard of gamblers, addicts. Mm -hmm. There's news addiction, too. So the other night, I happened to be at a store, and uh, this lady had a great attitude that was checking me out. And I said, you have a wonderful attitude. She said, well, I don't feel that great. And I said, what's the matter? And she said, well, you know, it's was listening to the news, and then this girl got killed in Santa Rosa, and, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. and I said, ma'am, you can control it. Stop it. Stop the news. And then you wouldn't have this yeah. feeling. Stop it. So what I did was, next door happened to be a florist. I went into the flower shop. I got her some flowers and some candy. I brought it in to her. She looked, looked at me like I'm a, a ghost. And she said, for me? And I said, yes. I said, ma'am. You're not alone. I love that. You make that. a difference. So stop the news. So we can make a big difference. All we have to do is get out of our heads and stop all the pain body because everyone has a pain body. needs to be fed. Don't feed yourself all this negativity. It's not doing you and no one else any bit of good.
1: Yeah, Joe, that, that's a that's a really great point. That was really kind of you to, to do that for her. Wow, that's great. And thank you for your kind words as well i think i think one of the things we have to do and this is maybe something that we can focus on a little bit more in lent because we want to take on these penances we want to take on these what are called mortifications and within that word mortification there's the french word more which means death m-o-r-t and we kind of want to die to ourselves as paul says die daily i pick up my cross every day as jesus tells us to But we also can't forget about the interior mortifications, our interior penances. And maybe one of the things that we can do is to kind of mortify our curiosity. And and this is part of why this stuff is so addictive, I think, Joe. And and, and thanks for mentioning all that stuff, because it's so true. And most of the news is designed to either make us angry, get us down, get us worried, get us anxious, so that we come back for more. And we're, we're trying to find the answers. And... Inquiring minds want to know, and this this preys on I think our desire for knowledge. And this is part of why we're created in the image of God. We are created to know the truth and love the truth. We we seek for the truth. That's what scientific knowledge is all about. We we strive to know things. We we have a knowable universe. But if we're not careful, we can channel that desire to know into the wrong thing, into the wrong areas, or maybe spend way too much time on those things. So curtailing that. Uh, is really important. Otherwise, we can get out of control. We can go down so many rabbit holes, and hey, I've been there. I've been there. I, 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 it, I'm i tempted to do it. Sometimes I do do it. Sometimes I spend too much time scrolling on Twitter, and I think, oh my goodness, look at how, how many minutes have gone by. Maybe not even minutes, maybe hours, and, and sometimes I'm looking for show ideas, and I find a lot of stuff there, but but also, wow, there are other things that need to be done. We've got to uh, organize our time and, and really use it well to, to God's glory. So, some really salient points there that you made, Joe. Really appreciate that call, uh, Joe, in San Francisco. Call back anytime. Let's go now. We're going to stay in California. We're going to go to Lulu in San Diego. Hi, Lulu.
0: Hi. Um, hey. On Sunday, on Sunday, I had my grandkids out uh, riding bikes, and we oh, live yeah. in mm-hmm. a little cul de sac. And I said, "Guys, go enjoy the sun. It's out. It's not raining." So they got on their bikes, and two little ones down on the end of the cul-de-sac came out to ride their bikes with training wheels, and Mm -hmm. I said, Go say hi. Go say hi. My grandsons are nine. These were maybe about four or five years old. I said, Go say hi. No, no. Why not? They just shake their head almost in fear and go off. And I I couldn't believe it. Why, Why can't they say hi? And then the other day I'm at the grocery store, and I'm walking across the, to the grocery store right there uh, by the driveway of the store. And this kid on a, an electric bike almost runs me over. Doesn't even oh. look that, I mean, they are so indifferent to people. Hmm. It's just like, I don't know, it, it, it's, they don't care or they, they are so self-absorbed that they're afraid to relate to other people. I mean you barely see people smiling anymore yeah that's true it's,
1: i i th- I think a lot of people they're just looking at their phone their their heads are down they're not really paying attention to what's around them and I think a couple of things now not of course not every kid is is like that there are there are a lot of kids who are super positive and super enthusiastic and very helpful to others, of course, but there is some there are s- certainly some who are maybe a little bit more callous and self centered for sure, and there are reasons for that um they didn't you know fall out of the womb like that. They, they were, this is part of environment. This is part of conditioning for sure. I, I do think though, that, that because a lot of young people are communicating mostly online, they, they do have a hard time communicating in person. Now. I, I just think that that's a generalization. Um, and, and I think, I don't want to sound like a get off my lawn kind of person, but, but I think it's true that, that, young people today no they 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 have they're having some trouble with with communication in person and i'm going to actually share a story about how to do that a little bit better uh in just a little bit on the show but but i think part of it is just they're not used to it um the one now this is again this is a huge generalization here but one thing that you see over and over again from some adults not not everybody they have noticed that homeschooled kids are they seem to be more confident, especially in talking to adults and being able to hold a conversation and just that's a huge generalization. There are obviously kids who go to public schools who probably could do exactly the same thing, but, but I think a lot of it is confidence. A lot of it is, is experience and what they're actually doing. Are are they getting any practice at this? Are they having positive interactions with people in which they can communicate? Um, anyways. Yeah, I, I, th- I think there's uh, there's something to that for sure. There's something to that in this digital age uh, we've lost that ability and, and and some kids are just naturally shy too in terms of playing with other kids that they don't know. That, that could have been part of it as well. But thanks so much for the call, Lulu. That, that's, that's really great stuff. Let's go to Ronnie on line one. Hi, Ronnie. Ronnie's calling from Hi, Brooklyn. Phil.
3: Hey, Ronnie. Yeah. Hi, good to hear from you. Anyway, uh, the story I have is uh, uh, I uh, know a carpenter that works apart from my house. He's a good carpenter, and I'm a carpenter also. I'm retired, though, but I still do side work once in a while. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, he treated me to uh, lunch one day, and uh, we had lunch. He paid. I paid the tip. Then the next day, I retreated him for lunch when he ha- when he was on his lunch break, mm-hmm. and we went to this pizza place in the neighborhood. So now, previously, I go to that pizza place quite often, and everything was very friendly. All the workers, there are very nice and everything's good and respectful and good. But now, once in a while, the boss is there. And now, we were there ha- having lunch together, and uh, we ordered pizza, and we had our, we were eating our pizza, and this mm-hmm. guy is a loud talker, and his favorite subject is Christ. And he quotes Scripture, He, he, he and, and I am huh. too, the same way. I mean, I'm not as loud as him, although mm-hmm. I am kind of loud, but uh, we were having a great conversation about Christ, heaven, and uh, the... Um, the way the society is going today is sort of anti-Christ and all this, you know. And, and we were talking uh, no, no bad words or anything, you know. And we were the only customers in the store, just the two of us. And the boss was there. And then a friend of ours walked in with his wife. But the boss didn't know that this was our friend. And he is in, in uh, uh, union with us, as far as that goes. Okay. Well, anyway, my friend had to leave to go back to work. And uh, when he left, I went to pay the bill. And the boss let me have it. He says, you've got no respect, he says, you for my customers and all this kind of stuff. And he was so upset that, that but we were talking about Christ and God and good things. Everything was good mm-hmm. we were speaking mm-hmm. about, you know. And yet he didn't appreciate it. And I felt very slighted by him. And that I, I didn't know he was such a, a, a ruthless guy like that, you know. So hmm. I didn't know what to say to him, except what I did say is this. I said, listen, you're entitled to your opinion. I respect what you think, and uh, 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 good night, or well, I just walked out, mm-hmm. you know, and that's yeah. about the size of it. But people, people you can talk about Christ and things that really matter in this world, like love and peace and joy mm-hmm. and happiness and um, mutual friendship and all this yeah. kind of brotherhood, you know. People, a lot of people don't want to hear this. They want to yeah. talk about, like, you know, Seinfeld. They want to talk about what Seinfeld talks about nonsense, <laughs> things are are yeah. trivial, trivial stuff. Yeah, I think I think
1: that's a great point, Ronnie. And I think I think the thing to do is obviously just pray for this guy. Obviously, uh, that's that's an important thing to do. Keep him in your prayers. And who knows in, in terms of his particular case why he doesn't want to hear about this? I, I think uh, Jesus does provoke strong reactions in people uh, when they know the real Jesus, when they read the and encounter the Jesus in the Gospels. Uh, as one writer says, he he never leaves you indifferent, and he inspired. Really, one of three different reactions. People either loved him; uh, they wanted to kill him. <laughs> I, I mean, very few people were sort of, eh, you know, I, I can take him or leave him. So he is—he is the personality of, of history, and so—and I think also people probably just don't want to be. Some people don't want to think about spiritual realities. Again, this is part of the numbness of uh, of the modern age. We're sort of anesthetized to. Things that really matter, and but they do matter, and, and people. It just reminds people, I think, of of eternity. Of I don't know. Or the other thing too is you never know. He may have had a terrible experience with religion in his life, and he's maybe biased against it. I, I don't know. Or coming from a place of hurt, you never know. The best thing you can do is just just pray for that person. And um, but at least he cares. I'll give him that. At least he cares. He wasn't indifferent about it. And a lot of people who are irreligious in today's culture. They, they are indifferent. They, they are part of that apathetic meh generation. Not the me generation, the meh generation. And I, I'd rather take somebody who's somewhat hostile any day of the week over somebody who's apathetic, because at least they care. At least they care. You can kind of work with that. All right. If you're on the line, stick with me, 888 9149 Try to get your calls. Got to take a quick break right now on The Kale Clark Show, but we will be right back.
0: this is the kale clark show giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life
1: hey welcome back to the program triple eight nine one four nine one four nine and austin healy sprite that is a rare find let me tell you wow that's so generous and uh, yeah go to relevantradio.com slash car you want to donate your old vehicle even if it's a classic hey we'll take it and we'll put it to good use for the kingdom all right well, as I said earlier in the program, I wanted to give you guys just a little uh, quick tip on communication. And we talked earlier, just there was a caller who called in saying that, you know, it seems like people today, especially younger people, don't know how to communicate face to face. And this can be a real tricky problem when we get into the workforce and we get into conflict because conflict happens between people. I mean, we're, we're all sinners. We, we live We together. We work together. There's going to be some some stuff happening, and how do you resolve it? That that is the key. Well, in the Harvard Business Review, uh, there was a piece by Leanne Davy talking about how to resolve conflicts with coworkers, specifically remote coworkers. Now, I think this can can work well no matter what, but uh, we do live in an age of remote work, and, and sometimes we have colleagues. Even if we do go to an office, we may have other colleagues who are offsite. You're communicating via Zoom or even through email. And text, and what if conflicts arise? How do you deal with that? It's tough. It's tough because when you're in face-to-face communication, and, I, and one thing I, I, I found is that uh, Zoom doesn't, I mean, Zoom does count. It's better than just being on the phone in terms of being able to see people's reactions and things like that. But it's nothing like being live and in the moment, as we like to say on relevant radio, face-to-face because people give nonverbal clues. I think over 90% of communication is nonverbal. It's physical. So without that, if you can't see the person in front of you, it's really difficult to gauge how things are going. So let's say you're having a problem with a coworker, or there's some sort of a misunderstanding that's come up. Uh, Leanne Davey writing for the Harvard Business Review says, well, if you're in the office... you you can sort of rely on informal office interactions to kind of smooth things over. You can go to the water cooler or maybe sit down and have lunch with this person and try to reestablish trust. When you're in person also, small irritating things that that don't get addressed, that, that doesn't happen as much. But when you're working remote, it can be a big problem because if things are not addressed, if sources of conflict are not dealt with, they can really impact uh, work. So what do, what do you do? What do you do if you're having an issue with a coworker who's working remote? Uh, she says, maybe the thing you don't want to do is phone them out of the blue and just start sharing feedback. And you might think it's constructive criticism, but the element of surprise is probably not a good thing because they're not expecting it. They're going to be defensive. They're going to put up a shell. And it's actually going to hurt the trust between you and this colleague. So she says, instead of doing that, instead of surprising the other person, give them a call or maybe send them an email, text them, and ask if you can set up a time in the near future to talk about how things have been going. So you could say something like, I'm finding it challenging working remotely, and I'd like to spend some time talking to you about what's working and how we could be more effective. So that's, that's a good opener. So, and she says, when you do have that conversation, if you can, obviously the person's remote, so you're going to try to do what you can do. It's not perfect, but it is probably better to use some sort of video call, whether it's FaceTime or Zoom or something like that, and try to get some video in addition to audio and try to pick up on as many facial expressions as you can. So she says, really, the thing you want to do is start off with saying something like, thanks so much for setting up this time. I thought it would be valuable to give each other some feedback and talk about how we can work effectively at distance. So, if the, if you're if you're having a problem with somebody, and this works in any situation too, not just when you're talking with somebody remotely, but if you're dealing with an issue, she says first provide crisp and clear observations of your teammate's behavior, as free of judgment and subjectivity as possible. Now, what does that mean? And this can work also in any kind of teamwork relationship, whether it's a marriage or, or an actual sports team or anything. So she says, instead of saying something like, you were rude to me, you could say something like this. When you interrupted me as I tried to be heard over the phone, dot, 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 dot. So don't, don't just kind of go off on the person. The second thing you need to do, so try, try to describe what they're doing as free of judgment as possible try to be objective. Second thing, describe the impact of the person's behavior on you. And don't say this is the objective truth. This is the way it is. Just say this is how it's impacted me. So here's an example. Quote, when you talked over me when I was on the conference call, I felt like you didn't respect what I had to say. End of quote. Now that, that's, actually, that's actually a really good thing. That's called an I-message that's an I message. And a lot of people who deal in communication talk about this all the time. Uh, Doug Hinderer, who specializes in marriage communication, he's been uh, at Relevant Radio, was brought in to, to address our staff, actually, and talk about relationships and communication. And, and this is a really important thing. Now, I don't know if he used this expression, but it's called an I message, where you say something like, when you did this, or when this happened, I felt like whatever. So uh, it's an iMessage with apologies to Apple. And that, that's a good thing because it doesn't, it, it doesn't say the other person's a complete jerk. It's just saying this is how it made you feel. This is how it made you feel. And then the last thing that one ought to do is ask an open-ended question that can engage your teammate in dialogue and help you understand each other. So, for example, you might say, how did you perceive that call when we were in the meeting room together? You know, what did you think of that? And you know, usually with open-ended questions, people will expand and and kind of give more information. So uh, the other thing is just uh, be honest about uh, about things. And you're not going to. This isn't perfect. It, these conversations often don't go, don't go perfectly. If somebody asks you a question and you don't know the answer necessarily, if you're quiet, they might misinterpret your your silence as anger or something like that. So you can actually say what's going on in your mind. Don't Don't leave them hanging. Say, just give me a moment to think about that. I actually need to think. That's why I'm quiet. If you're surprised, if you get some feedback from maybe a supervisor that kind of shocks you, you can actually say that. You can say, wow, that's a surprise to me. I, I, I had no idea. If you're actually taken aback, maybe it's good to admit that. If you're struggling in the conversation, you can actually say, this is difficult for me. This is a hard thing to talk about, but I'm really glad that we're getting this stuff out there, getting it out in the open, getting it on the table. So that's a that's a good thing that you can add to your conversation. Talk about the things that you're thinking and the things that you're that you're feeling. Because we're we're humans, we, we have emotions as well, and that we're not just robots and uh, we, we don't just talk about things, we also have to talk about our feelings about these things. That sounds kind of touchy feely, but, but it, it is important. Um, the last thing that she says uh, in this article, uh, Leanne Davy, writing in the Harvard Business Review says you've got to have an action plan for how to you know, make an action plan for how you're going to deal with the issue. But especially with remote colleagues, if you're out of sight, you can easily slip out of mind. So at the end of your conversation, once you're talking about your issue, try to figure out an action plan. So if you decide we're going to talk to each other every week to make sure that communication is clear on this issue, put it in your calendar right then. Make an appointment. Invite the other person through an online calendar. Send an invite. If you say you're going to follow up with something, put it in your own calendar and make sure that you actually do that. And so that's a good thing to do. Another thing you can do is follow up with a note through email or in person saying, thanks for the conversation. I got a much better sense of how tough it is for you when you're dependent on the team at the head office to make a deadline. I also feel like you understood my predicament in having multiple regional teams I have to support. As we agreed from now on, we will have a weekly 15 minute touch point on Monday morning. Make sure our priorities are aligned. Thanks again. It's a it's a good thing to do just to follow up essentially. And so don't delay uncomfortable conversations, especially when it's with a remote colleague because distance makes it even worse um avoiding an important conversation is bad enough when you're working together uh it can be even worse with a virtual teammate so how about that we don't want things like that to sour our working relationships and i i just think it's really important especially that that whole section on what's called the i messages as it were uh when this happened i felt like this uh because usually when people Feel like they're being attacked. If they're if they're being criticized, they they kind of go into fight or flight mode. There's a part of the brain called the amygdala that uh, can be that triggers the fight or flight response. And usually, people if they don't want to fight, they at least want to defend themselves. So you got to try to make make them understand it's not about them personally. And and one way you can do that is by using these I messages, if you will. All right, let's go to Ramona in Navarre, Florida. Hi, Ramona. We've got about uh, it's about thirty seconds or so. I know that's not much time, but I wanted to try to get you in here. What, what do you think?
5: Well, Clark, back on the uh, the idea of talking about nothing, mm-hmm. I learned a I learned a lesson that even if what someone shares with me feels like nothing to me, I need to respect that, and I need to understand that that may be important to them, and and find mm-hmm. a way to relate somehow that it is important rather than communicate that it's nothing. Um, I was traveling with my daughter long distance, and she shared a podcast with me, uh, Mm a couple of guys that just talk about things that interest them. And and she said she loves it. She never misses it. And thousands of young people love this, can't remember the name of it. And I made the mistake at the end of it of saying, well, I was just like, they talked about nothing for an hour. (laughs) And I that's, really hurt her. It, she's oh, like, yeah. Mom, I thought you had all this Christian love. Where was it?
1: Oh, oh my. You, you got to call back tomorrow. That's, that's a big topic. But thanks for listening, everybody. I appreciate that. Gail Clark here. Stay tuned to Relevant Radio. Keep it locked. Take it away, Michaela.
3: Thank you for listening to my daddy.